So, Pete, what are we talking about today? All podcast and no play makes Pete a dull boy. We don't have to do I mean, I know we're doing two in a week because we're trying to catch up, but like, we don't have to do it if you want to just go out and play. Do you want to play some video games? I don't know. This whole gag doesn't really work because this is a movie that takes place in a snowstorm and it's like November and 70 out. So I'm kind of confused. Also, I feel like I would have a lot to do in a snowstorm. I There's lots of board games. Yeah. Let's just play board games. It solves all horror movies. I like it. Yeah. Let's just sit down and play a game. Welcome to Fearless Films. Fearless Films is a podcast where a horror movie buff, that's me, breaks down the scary movies for the scaredy cast. That's me! So they don't have to watch the movie. Still me. It's always been you. Wait, that sounds... I mean, I would say that sounds romantic, but like considering the context of all these, that sounds actually creepy. So, you notice that romance, things in romantic dramas and comedies and horror movies... If the, the scenes are just switched a little bit, they work very well in the same worlds, you know? Yeah, if you just change the intonation of the same <laughs> words, they can go from comedy to horror real quick. I'll be watching you, Pete. Everything you do. No, that song is already creepy. It's about <laughs> a stalker. People not listening to lyrics made that a romantic song. <laughs> so, uh... Why are we working and not playing today, Pete? I thought this was all fun and games for you. Because we are going to be talking about the Stanley Kubrick film based on a Stephen King book, 1980s The Shining. Wow, let's get all the big names. Stanley Kubrick, Stephen King. You got any more? Jack Nicholson. Bam, somebody has... <laughs> existed as an American for the past 60 years. There is no way that I didn't... I I mean, I like to pretend that, like, oh, I don't know anything about what movie we're talking about, but you can't you can't do that with the fucking Shining, okay? I'm just gonna... Here, just bullet point me for you, Kev. Give me everything you know about The Shining. Okay, The Shining is, in its entirety, in my brain, an axe through a door. Yep. Here's Johnny. Okay. Frozen Johnny. <laughs> yes. I think there's some creepy twins. That is correct. Is there blood in an elevator? Uh, yes. Uh, is there love in an elevator? No. Are they living it up while they're going down? I'm no. I think it's, it's I got all track somewhere. It's all down. <laughs> yeah. Is there you a tricycle? The rail. I'm, I'm seeing tricycle. There is a boy on a three-wheeler, yeah. Okay, that's it. That's it. I, I was I was really, like, reaching for the tricycle part, but that's that's the total right there. So, yeah, you know what anybody knows who <laughs> has seen pop culture. Jack Nicholson swinging an axe through the door and then shoving his face in and scaring Shelley Duvall. I, usually I just see the memes, mostly, where it's one of a million other things shoving their face in there and scaring a million other things for the lulls. Yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't the lulls on the set of The Shining. <laughs> it was quite a difficult experience for everyone involved because I don't know how much you know about Stanley Kubrick, but He's the man was kind of a psychopath. He's a dick. Apparently all the bigs were. Uh, Hitchcock was an ass. Yes, both men known for not treating actresses well. And by, in Kubrick's case, by what I mean by not well is scarred her emotionally enough that she legitimately suffered from PTSD. Wow. I mean, you got to make, you got to break a few eggs to make a movie, right? According to him. Yeah. He wanted <laughs> an authentic performance. So he literally made her so miserable that her hair was falling out. Wow. Dude, just quit. Just quit at that point. Right. <laughs> And that goes, like, well, it's no. been fun. I guess I don't want to be in this movie anymore. Fuck you. <laughs> I could be in any other movie and I would be happier. I'm going to go start the Muppet movie and still have a good time. Dude, the Muppet movie sounds like it'd be the best time. Right? I don't understand why people aren't lining up to be in the Muppet movie. Yeah. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We should start at the beginning. 
This is a movie based on a Stephen King book. So these are your favorite episodes. I know. I know. Families get to be tormented and broken apart because Stephen King has a problem. Yes. And actually, the him writing The Shining was very autobiographical because it was him dealing with his alcoholism and, um, you know. Bursting through bathroom doors with an axe? Is that a I normal I don't think he ever went that King far. Household? No, I don't think that happened. But he has talked about, you know being angry with his family just from being drunk and, you know, like, you know, physical harm he may have caused to his children. Wow. So it was him dealing with stuff. So it's a very heavy book. I'm glad that he could experience catharsis by freaking the hell out of everybody else in America and the world. (laughs) Well, uh, and we'll talk about this at the end. The movie changes a lot of key themes from the book. Oh, get out of town. Movies do that? Yeah. (laughs) Kubrick read the book and was like, well, this is a great story. So he took all of the human elements out of it and just made a weird psychological thriller. That sounds like Kubrick. But the bones are, the story structure's the same. It's just, uh, you know, some key differences. So, all right, movie movie professional that you are, Pete. Um, For the layperson out there who may not know things about things, what other movies has Kubrick done? He did 2001 A Space Odyssey, which... Never heard of it. It's just astronauts in space moving really slowly, <laughs> and their AI computer tries to kill them, and then one of them becomes one with an alien monolith and becomes a higher life form. And I think that's the biggest one that they uh, that they know. Um, he also did A Clockwork Orange, didn't he? Uh, yes. Which I don't, like, I heard good things about it, besides it being, like, really fucked up. Uh, but I heard good things about it, but, like, okay, first off, I have to ask, because it's Kubrick, is this movie slow and boring? The Shining? Yeah. It's slow? I wouldn't call it boring. Because I was a film guy, and I was like, well, I gotta see 2001 A Space Odyssey, because that's, like, one of the big ones, one of the first. And it was real boring. It was just so bad. I just had such a hard time. It took 20 (laughs) minutes to get through the beginning scene. Yeah. It was so bad. So this isn't that, right? This is not that. This picks up a little quicker than that one. And, you know, with the threat of death around every turn in this movie, it's a little more exciting. I don't know. You've shown me many movies with the threat of death around every turn, and some of them are just downright silly, not exciting. Okay, well, pick, I mean, remember, this is Jack Nicholson, so That's with true. the same energy he brought to the Joker <laughs> nine years after this movie, like, but instead of being, oh, he's a clown and he's, he's throwing money all over Gotham City. No, this is, he's got an axe and he's trying to murder his child. All right, well, take us in and tell me what happens. Okay. So the movie opens on Jack Torrance, played by Jack Nicholson, going in for an interview at the Overlook Hotel, which is situated in the Rocky Mountains. Jack Torrance, huh? Jack Torrance. Real big reach from Jack Nicholson, huh? Well, also his son's Danny Torrance, played by actor Danny Lloyd. All right. Was he even trying at this point? (laughs) I mean, you know, if it works, it works. (laughs) So he's interviewing to be the winter caretaker of this hotel because they're open during the summer for like seven months uh, of the year. And then they close for the winter because the single road up to this hotel is inaccessible because of snowfall. So they just leave one or two people there over the off season to maintain the building until it's ready to be opened five months later. Okay, so this setup is either going to be wacky hijinks a la, like, Porky's or The Revenge of the Nerds teen raunch comedy or absolutely mindfuck terrifying horror. I will let you guess which one. I'm going to go with Porky's. I think this is there's going to be hijinks and panty raids and lots of fun times with co-eds. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, Kev, but the guy, the manager in charge, Mr. Ullman, as he's explaining to Jack during the interview, he's like, well, the hotel opened in 1909 and was built on the site of a Native American burial ground. Okay, what the fuck, dude? Why you would do that? 
and has had a fair share of tragedy in its existence, including a previous caretaker from years back, a man named Charles Grady, who killed his family and himself in the hotel. At what point do you just think, hmm, maybe we're fucking cursed and should close? Nah, we've got money to make. There's other places you could open a hotel. <laughs> but this one's so... The rich people like this one, Kev. Rich people will like it in another mountain range. One that doesn't have a <laughs> fucking Indian burial ground underneath it. Which I must say, I mean... I don't believe there was an Indian burial ground on the top of a fucking mountain. Listen, those Indians, they which they were probably calling it an Indian burial ground, but we should probably acknowledge that that is super insensitive. And I think Native American is the appropriate term. It's switched a couple times, but Native American burial ground. Either way, they were badass people. I could see them hiking up a mountain with dead people to be like, yeah, this is the hardest fucking place in our land to get to. Let's show our dead some respect by hiking all this way with them <laughs> on our back to just show them how much they meant to us. Okay, that's a fair theory. I can get behind that. Also, I should point out that the the site was built on a Native American burial ground, was added for the movie and wasn't in the original book. So well, yeah, step one on Stanley Kubrick being kind of an ass. He was... Uh... <laughs> I mean, that's that's typical movie-to-book thing. That would be too cheesy to put in a book. <laughs> so, despite hearing all of this, Jack is excited to take the job because what the manager doesn't know is that Jack is kind of desperate. He was a teacher in Vermont, but he got fired from his job, and so now he's like, nah, I'm just going to pursue my dreams of writing the great American novel, and this will give me some nice, quiet time to work on it. He has a family, right? He does. So he knows that that's bullshit, right? I have a family. <laughs> I thought, you know, quarantining for eight months. Well, well, first off, they have an entire hotel to spread out amongst. I guess that's true. And secondly, it's 1980. His wife's going to take care of the kid <laughs> and do everything. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So just to re remind you when this is taking place. So... We cut to the wife, Wendy Torrance, who well, in the movie... They gave her a name? They just, just not just the wife? Yeah, what was that movie where someone was just the wife that we oh, talked man, about? I can't remember. I'm glad it's been erased from my brain. But Wendy is played by Shelley Duvall, who's been in things like Time Bandits and... She was in Time Bandits. She was. And Annie Hall, Suburban Commando, which I believe was the 1990s Hulk Hogan movie. So kind of a step down. <laughs> I mean, everything but, is a step down from the Hulk Hogan movie. Oh, you meant this was a step down from this movie. Okay, I understand. Yeah, you got, yeah, okay. Wendy in the book is a tough, sure of herself, independent woman who, as soon as shit starts going crazy, defends herself and her child with a ferocity. Wendy in the movie is a meek little mouse woman who couldn't hurt a fly. That's... Why? Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> All right, sexism. Okay. Yep. So we cut to her at their home in Boulder, Colorado, and her son, their son, Danny, has a sort of premonition where he sees images of the hotel that his father's in right now and then passes out. That's a great sign. Wendy calls a doctor, she examines Danny and says that he's physically okay, and then she talks with Wendy privately, and they talk about how he has an imaginary friend named Tony, who talks through him sometimes. The doctor says no more monkeys jumping on the bed, right? No, the doctor says that'll just pass with time, don't do anything about it. Because once again, this is 1980, <laughs> and the solution to anything is just, well, just ignore it, it'll go away. Don't worry about it. Don't try parenting. That sounds like work. But Wendy reveals to the doctor in the scene that Jack used to have a drinking problem until he dislocated Danny's arm when he was like three, when he grabbed him too roughly. And since then, he hasn't been drinking. <laughs> Casual child abuse. It's okay. That fly, fly fine right now in today's day and age. Oh, yeah. So the family uh, is moved into the hotel. They show up on the last day when all the staff and the final guests are leaving. 
and Mr. Ullman is showing them around and he's like, this is your apartment where you're, you'll be staying. You know, these are, he's just showing around the, the whole place. Here's and, the dead body locker. Here's where the ghosts howl at night. Don't worry about it. We don't, they don't talk about that. It hurts sales. Uh, <laughs> but they also meet the head chef, a man named Dick Halloran. Um, I'm going to throw you a bone here. Played by actor Scatman Crothers. Wow, Scatman Crothers. He's my favorite. That was his stage name. He was a musician. If you're wondering why his name was Scatman. Uh, But Scatman Crothers plays Dick as the... Kev, I don't know if you've heard this term before. Magical old Negro character. (laughs) No, I, I honestly have not heard that term before, Pete. It's an unfortunate fictional archetype that Stephen King used a few times among many other authors uh, and storytellers where he's an older black man who is either magical in the great wisdom he gives to young white people or literally has magical powers. I like hearing this stuff, hearing that this is like a normal archetype, it makes me wonder why there haven't been riots in our cities more often. <laughs> that this shit was just normal. Like, I'm ignorant of this stuff. The black community probably isn't, and I'm like, dude, I'm, I'll, I'll show up with a, with a pitchfork right there with you. What the fuck? <laughs> well, thankfully... <laughs> Magical in recent, Negro! <laughs> in recent years, the archetype has been pushed aside more oh, often. Oh, has it? <laughs> but if you go back, Kevin, and watch some of your... Watch some of your childhood favorite movies and you'll start to see a pattern. I don't want to. I don't want to. But anyway, Dick Halloran takes Danny to the kitchen. He's like, hey, do you want some ice cream, kid? Will your parents talk about the boring stuff? And Danny's like, of course, I'm a small child. Give me all of the ice cream. Stranger danger means nothing to me. So as they're talking, uh, as they're sitting there and eating ice cream, Dick is talking to Danny. He's like, how do you think I knew that your nickname was Doc? Because at one point he's like, come on, Doc, you want to join me for some ice cream? And the kid's like, I don't know. And he's like, do you ever hear things in your head or do you ever see things before they happen? And the kid's like, I guess. And he's like, cool, you're psychic. (laughs) Well, he doesn't say psychic, but he basically explains to Danny that they're alike. And he explains when he was young, him and his grandmother could talk to each other without physically talking. And his grandmother always referred to it as the shining. And he's like, Danny, you have this power oh, too. Pete, that's the name of the movie. Thanks, Kev. It's the shining. They mentioned it. It's in the movie, Pete. <laughs> I always wondered why this random ass movie about a guy in the middle of a snowstorm murders his family is called the shining. The shining. Uh, yeah, that's why. So he explains to Danny that they're special and there's other people in the world who have the shine. And he also explains that sometimes places are like people and they also have a shine to them. And the hotel is one such place. Do you think all those dead Native Americans underneath the ground? It might be. Maybe. Well, Danny asks him about it and he's like, Danny like starts reading his mind. and He's like, why are you afraid of room 237? And Dick's like, I'm not afraid of room 237. <laughs> why do you ask that? You know, like you, he's totally failing at lying to this child. You literally just told him he was psychic. And then you're like, <laughs> what do you mean? I don't know what you're talking about. Don't lie to the fucking psychic boy. But yeah, he basically in simple words explains to Danny that sometimes like when bad things happen in a place, it sort of leaves a bad energy on them. Oh God, there must be so much bad energy in this place. Yeah. So he tells Danny to just don't, don't think about it and don't go anywhere near room 237. (laughs) So, uh, let me guess where the first place this family goes for some reason. Oh no, 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 no. They follow the rules. The kid doesn't go near it for a while. Oh, that's nice. So they get settled in, everybody else leaves, and then it does a title card cut to one month later. Because remember, they're in here for a five-month stay, starting in November. Gonna be here for a bit. Yeah. So we learn quickly that, um, you know, Wendy and Danny are settling in nicely, but Jack 
has been suffering from a writer's block for this month straight and has gotten nowhere with his novel. Maybe he's just a shitty writer. Possibly. <laughs> but yeah, he actually spends a lot of time just whipping a rubber ball against the wall and just killing time. Great. In the meantime, Danny and Wendy are exploring the grounds. There's this big, huge hedge maze outside the hotel that they have fun running around in. And then eventually the snowy season starts and uh, it starts coming down pretty heavy until the phone lines go out. Now, Wendy calls the, uh, what are they called? The Rangers on the radio. And they're like, yeah, this happens every year. And she's like, well, does it get fixed? And they're like, no, they pretty much just wait till the spring. Fuck you, whatever. Yeah, that's for, that's safety in the 80s, so. So, wait a minute, let me get this straight. So we've got this guy who has a problem with drinking and is a writer cooped up with his family. Yes. Did Stephen King really have to go far for that uh, analogy somewhere? Does it, was he looking real deep for the, the, the character oh, development no. there? Basically, every protagonist in a King book is just him. Yeah, right? Every single one. This is a theme that I'm seeing. Because they're always either writers or teachers or just simple men with families. And this guy was a teacher who became a writer. Like, yeah. Just seems like low-hanging fruit to me, personally. But maybe I have a personal bias against Stephen King because he's ruined my life in many times. (laughs) Well, as time goes by, Jack gets more and more his temper acts up like he gets very short with Wendy whenever she interrupts him, like to the point of telling her, basically telling her to fuck off whenever he's writing and to not even come in the room. Cause it disrupts his flow. <laughs> right. Right. Cause he had so much flow that first month. Yeah. I don't want to, do, I don't like that. Can we edit the part out where I said, Jack Nicholson, Nicholson, Nicholson. Can, we, can we edit that part out where I said, Jack Nicholson had so much flow that made me uncomfortable. Well, speaking of flow, oh no! One of the weird things that happened before they even got here was that when Danny was having visions of the hotel, he saw a vision of elevator doors opening and a river of blood pouring out of them. I've seen that scene. I know that scene. Yes, I'm sure you have. But thankfully, when they actually get to the hotel, Danny doesn't see that. Instead, There's what no he blood sees anywhere. It's weird. Then what he sees is he's driving around on his three-wheeler through the hallways and he turns a corner and there's just two little girls standing there and they ask him if he wants to play with them forever and ever and ever. Ooh, and then I'm he, gonna go with no. he quickly has a flash of them lying on the floor covered in blood and all cut up and then it goes back to normal again and he just pieces out. He just turns around and is like, well, fuck that hallway forever. Nope, you don't <laughs> have ice cream so I am not going near you. Yeah, they said nothing about ice cream. That's what the that's what the evil demons and ghouls don't remember. You got to start with ice cream. You lead with ice cream. <laughs> sure, playing forever and ever is a great secondary thing, but the ice cream's got to come first. Absolutely true. So eventually, Wendy, while walking around doing maintenance stuff that Jack should be doing himself as the caretaker. God damn she, it, Jack. She hears Jack screaming, like out and out screaming. So she runs upstairs and finds him like asleep, like on the, like he passed out on the floor and she wakes him up and he says he had the worst nightmare where he had like murdered and chopped up her and Danny. Fun. Oh yeah. Fun times for everyone. So as she's consoling him, Danny walks in the room and she she's like trying to tell him to leave, but he just is staring blankly and looks like catatonic. So she goes over to him and Danny has like bruises on his neck. So, of course, Wendy thinks that Jack did it. Are you, are you still got, there? I, <laughs> I just get nothing to say about this. No, you got no jokes for this, Kev? How do you make jokes about child abuse, Pete? Go ahead. Wait, wait. Let's everybody, let's pause ref- going through the movie. Pete, go ahead and make a joke about child abuse. I am I'm not. sure they'll all laugh. Everybody nope. will laugh. I'm going to continue the plot description. <laughs> uh, so um, she grabs Danny and takes him away to their rooms and just leaves Jack there looking pissed off because she accused him of this. See, this is what I don't like about Stephen King is his horror is like real horror. It's not like, you know, flouncy co-eds 
going down the hallway in in little nighties as they get stabbed by big bad over here. No, they've got things like child abuse and like psychological depravity and, and horror of their own mind and people's psychosis going against each other and all that other stuff. You can't make jokes about that. There's no jokey jokes. Hey, this guy went crazy and killed his wife and threw her in a dry well. Let's make jokey jokes. It's going to be okay, Kev. There's no jokey jokes, Pete. So what we, the audience, know that that Jack and Wendy don't know is that at this point, Danny had gone to investigate room 237. God damn it, Danny. You had one job. He was riding around and he saw that the door was open. So he wandered in and then like the it just cuts at him looking terrified. And then it's the audience then sees Wendy finding Jack screaming and all that scene. Yeah. So after she takes Danny away, Jack wanders off and he goes into the, 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 the gold room, which is like a big ballroom with a bar and stuff in the hotel. And of course the whole place is empty. And they had said specifically when they first showed up that the whole building would be dry. Like they would remove all the alcohol. So it's not like he would have been tempted by anything. Yeah. So here's where it gets super ghosty weird. Ooh, super ghosty weird. Is there a giant Stay Puff Marshmallow Man? No, you went too far. Oh, is that too ghosty weird? Yeah. Jack sits down at the bar and is just sort of mumbling to himself about how he'd give anything for a drink. And then a dude just appears as the bartender and is like, anything for you, Mr. Torrance. Oh, we're getting super ghosty weird here. So he pours Jack a drink and they start having a conversation about... <sighs> Jack talks about the white man's burden. What? And how his wife has been ruining his life since they've been married. And how, you know, he only accidentally hurt his son the one time. And for three years, she's been harping on it and just on his back. And he can't live his life and be happy. Wow, this this dude deserves a lot of kicks to the nuts. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yo. Poor me and my white privilege. Wah. No, kept the white man's burden. Yeah, huh? That's that's what they call it. <laughs> so the bartender Lloyd is basically just listens to him and and just like, yep, yep, of course, sir. And that basically tells us like, well, maybe you know, sometimes you just got to deal with those bad apples. Maybe you should stop being such a little bitch about it. <laughs> so that's interrupted when Wendy comes running in. Because this is supposed to be like a little while later, maybe an hour or so. And as soon as she runs in, the bartender disappears. The alcohol disappears. It's all just Jack sitting alone at an empty bar. And she tells Jack that she thinks there's someone else in the hotel with them. Because when she finally got Danny to talk about what happened to his neck, Danny said a woman attacked him in room 237. So Jack begrudgingly goes to investigate. He slowly creeps into room 237, opens the door, and a beautiful woman is sitting in the bathtub, like in a bath, just completely naked. I mean, it'd be really weird if she weren't completely naked in a bath, Pete. Um, uh, That's the weird thing here. Okay, sure. (laughs) So she gets up and she... I bathe in a bathing suit, don't you? Never nude. Never nude. (laughs) She's got jean shorts on, doesn't she? (laughs) God. Why did you have to put that image in my head? (laughs) So this woman beckons over Jack and he walks up to her and they start making out. What? Jack? And then he he opens his eyes and he catches their reflection in the mirror. And the woman has transformed into this very old, dirty looking woman who's got like necrotic patches of flesh just peeling off of all over her body. Fun. Yeah. So he freaks the fuck out and runs away. So, of course, what does he do when he comes back to Wendy? He tells her he saw nothing. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why not? Well, okay, sure. Yeah, no, there's nothing. Don't worry about it, babe. Totally normal hotel we're staying in. There's no reason to be alarmed. This is this is the breakdown of sanity, Kev. <laughs> so, this is, this is a they- dumbass guy being a dumbass guy. They get into a big argument because Wendy's like, we should get Danny out of here because this is fucked. And Jack's like, no, no, 
I can't leave and quit. I made a commitment when I took this job and you're just trying to ruin my life some more. Now he's worried about commitment. Not when he was necking with dead chick. No, not at all. But he's got to maintain his honor, Kev. He took this job and he's he's a man of principles. I feel like he should be getting hazard pay because the place is fucking haunted. We don't talk about that. It's fine. <laughs> So he storms off and she goes to take care of Danny and it's just a fucking crazy winter already. This is month two, right? Yes. Three more months. Yay. All right, uh, Kev, I'm going to give you a chance to take a breath and uh, take a breath. I'm not scared. I'm just fucking annoyed. This yeah, that's why dick. I need you to calm down. <laughs> Stop threatening violence against Stephen King and Stanley. Well, Stanley Kubrick can go fuck himself, but... Uh... I mean, Stephen King doesn't seem like a barrel of roses anyway, so why would you put roses in a barrel? They'd wilt, Pete. I don't know where this analogy is going. <laughs> don't worry about it. I just made out with a dead lady, but everything's fine. Listen... What's what you're going to tell your wife? A, you cheated on her. B, you cheated on her with a dead person. Why don't you tell her something else? Maybe be a little bit be like, listen, there was this weird lady who was totally naked in a bath, which is normal, I guess. But the fact that she was also a dead corpse when you look at her in the mirror was not weird, was the weird part. Let's talk about that. Possibly haunted. You got to convey the important information. You can kind of leave out the whole necking thing. <laughs> okay, good to know. I'm just saying there's better ways to do this. Well, anyways, what the hell are we talking about? Well, not the shining. I don't care about the shining anymore. Good, because next week we're not talking about the shining. Yay, we're done with shining, done with Stephen King. Everything's great. Next week we're talking about the sequel to The Shining called Doctor ah, Sleep. God fucking damn it, Pete. Did you really think it would be that easy, Kev? No, I didn't. I knew it wouldn't be that easy. Partly because we talked about this last week, but also because I'm mad at you. <laughs> Listen, I just read you the stories. They're dumb stories. They're they're classics. Doesn't except, make them less dumb. Except for all those bad ones we talked about, like New Year's Evil. <laughs> that one's great. All right, so we're going to talk about The Shining. Is that going to finish up the month? It will. That will be the end of November, and next then week we we'll announce what Christmas. our Christmas schedule is going to be. Hooray! We get more Gremlins movies to talk about, right? I yeah, actually, They're thank God. Horror. Thank God we don't have any more Black Christmas movies to talk oh, about. God, are you sure they haven't made another one? And while we weren't looking, I, I yeah, I guess I should be safe and double check. You never know. <laughs> All right, so we are going to be starting up a whole new month of uh, fun and horror for you. Um, so we are taking submissions and we are taking suggestions. If you want to, like, this is this is the point where you're gonna where you can kind of like influence what you want to hear from us. So go ahead and shoot us a message, shoot us an email, whatever you want to do. You can find us on Facebook, Fearless Films Podcast, or you can tweet at us, Fearless Film Pod. Or you can go on Instagram. I don't know why you'd message us on there. There's better ways to message us. But if, hey, if Instagram's your jam, fine. Feel some podcasts. We're there. Uh, you can all shoot us an email. We, uh, we're at fearlessfilmspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, you'll be able to get in touch with us. Just tell us what you want to hear about. Tell us if there's any super scary uh, specific movies that you are wanting to know more about. Pete's, uh, Pete probably already saw them. Because he doesn't have much of a life outside of this, so hey, <laughs> is it is it wrong? Am I wrong, Pete? I have a life. Uh huh. Okay. How many horror have... movies do you own on DVD? The dead media that we've got a lot, a lot. Um, and if you don't want to know about or learn about a movie, and you just want to scare the pants off of me because you think it'd be funny to watch me be upset about things, you could do that too. Because I get about I get upset about a lot of things, and it's very easy. So go ahead and shoot us an email, tweet at us, do whatever you want, and we will happily take your suggestions. Sounds good. Kev, you ready to jump back into the Overlook Hotel and talk about The Shining? I think we should just call it. I think that was a really great ending. I had a really good roll going on right there. Things went pretty smooth. I think we should just uh, fade out. Where's the ending music?
Yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna do the second half of the episode. Ending music anytime. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no, I, I I I shut the door on that one. You can't get it yet. Fuck. Okay, so Kev. Nah. What? Pass. Pass? <laughs> you can't pass on the episode. <laughs> pass. Uh, listen, no. I'm just gonna imagine that Stanley Kubrick decided that Jack Nicholson was kind of a dick, and. He just wandered away and froze to death in the middle of the wilderness, and mom and son lived happily ever after. They probably befriended Naked Dead Lady and uh, the two girls, and everybody was pretty chill. No. Damn you, Stephen King. What happens is, after they have their big argument, Jack goes back to the bar. (laughs) Is he actually drinking? I I don't think you can ghost get drunk. Can you get ghost drunk? It's sort of like low-key possession by the evil of the hotel. (laughs) So he goes back there, and now he's seeing a bumpin' like party. There's people everywhere, and everyone looks like they're 90s, 1920s outfits, and it looks like a like New Year's Eve celebration or something. That's nice. Yeah, he literally runs into a waiter who spills drinks all over him. God damn it, Jack! You're a bumbling dutterhead. So they go to the bathroom and the waiter's like cleaning off his his uh, his jacket and stuff. And the waiter introduces himself as Delbert Grady. That's a name. Delbert Grady. You've lived, you know, some 30 odd years now, right? Yeah. How many Delberts do you know? Not a single one. Not a single fucking one. Do you know why, Pete? That's not a real name. That is not a goddamn real name. Okay. Uh, well, the big important part of this is that Jack remembers the story about the previous caretaker who murdered his family and himself, and his name was Charles Grady. So Jack's a little suspicious here, and he's like, what the fuck is going on? Why is this? And he's sorry, he's like, he's grilling him. He's like, you were the previous caretaker here. And the waiter's like, oh, no, sir, I don't know what you mean. Because this My is just is the hotel. Albert. Just The hotel's just fucking with him at this point. I would, too. I'd be annoyed <laughs> with him at this point. Well, he's not getting anything done that the hotel wants. Right? He's not even writing his book. No. But more importantly, he's not murdering anybody. Oh, right. No, I thought the hotel was just somebody who really liked productivity. It's not his agent. (laughs) You know, the ghost is like, they start talking about his family again. And the hotel reveals to Jack that Danny had used his powers previously to send a call for help to Dick Halloran, who's been on his way this whole time. Like, he was in another state, he took a plane, and he's heading into the hotel to save Wendy and Danny. And the waiter is like, you need to correct your wife and child, Mr. Torrance. Oh, God. Yeah. So, this is where Jack starts going on the war path. He's going to believe some clumsy waiter over his wife and child. I forgot. He already hates his wife. Yeah, so there's no winning there. Nope. We cut to Wendy wandering into the room that Jack does all his writing in, and she goes up to his typewriter and sees, like, a big stack of papers. Looks like a a manuscript or, you know, an outline of a novel or something. He wrote a novel. Great job, Jack. At least something good came out of this. Not quite, because every single page is just covered with the phrase all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy over and over and over again. Okay, but here's the thing. So far in this movie that I've seen, there has been zero work done by Jack. Zero work. Yeah, but it's not even close to all work. He's got that eternal victim personality, so, you know. Oh, and... always me, Jack. To drive home, once again, how much of a fuckhead stanley kubrick was he <laughs> forced his production assistants to literally type out a thousand pages of all work and no play makes jack a dull boy okay is there a movie anywhere where stanley kubrick creates deranged serial killers because that wouldn't be far f- from the truth here Right? Did they need a thousand pages of this writing? No. Did the movie show a thousand pages of this typed out? Absolutely not. 
then why the fuck did he make him do that? Because he wanted it authentic. Oh my god, Stanley. Honestly, he he was the Daniel Day-Lewis of directors. He's like, (laughs) if you aren't literally experiencing pain, it's not good enough. Dude. Just, oh, wow. Okay. Luckily, when Wendy was looking through all this stuff, she was carrying a baseball bat because she was a little worried about Jack at this point. I thought she'd also be worried about the random lady that was beating up her son. That We're not going to talk about that. It's over. <laughs> oh, so we're past that now. Jack finds her and starts stalking towards her, and he says, he's not going to kill her. He's just going to bash her fucking brains in. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, it's fine. He's just going to beat the shit out of her. So as as Jack is chasing her up a staircase, Wendy nails him in the skull with a baseball bat and knocks him unconscious. Nice. And then she dismembers him and then throws him into the goat pit. No, she locks him in the pantry. Damn it. Why can't you be tougher, Wendy? And unfortunately, she finds out after the fact that Jack has already destroyed the hotel's radio and their snowcat vehicle, which they would have used to escape with. Damn it. Yeah, all right, so just murder him. And then eat him. Whatever, I don't care. Well, they don't have time for that because... They don't have time to murder and eat him? You always have time to eat Jack Nicholson. Jack is talking with the ghosts again, and they let him out of the pantry. They they can do that? Yes. Wow. Which totally destroys all the theories that people have about this movie. Well, one of the popular ones is that it, there are no ghosts and it's just Jack being insane, but they literally let him out of the pantry. I mean, maybe he let himself out. Maybe he learned to pick locks. He he doesn't. It just the door just opens. Maybe she forgot to lock it. Typical woman, am I right? That's ah, it. the 80s. Okay. So... <laughs> Meanwhile, Danny is running around their room yelling red rum over and over and over again like Ooh, a weirdo. Did that come from this movie? It does. Wow, there's another thing I learned from this movie. Yeah, and he like writes it on a wall and then Wendy sees it in the reflection of a mirror and it's red rum is murder backwards. What? Which is like at this point in the movie, she's like, oh, my God. And then she starts like getting them ready to leave. And it's like, no, this is not the po- like you are already at the point where you were going to leave. You were at like, dude, your your son got attacked by vicious ghosts and your husband chased you around with a bat. Like, come on, lady. <laughs> so what happens is they're about to leave. But that's when Jack shows up again with the axe. Oh, he's and- got the axe now. So they lock themselves in the bathroom. She has Danny climb out the window, but she can't fit. So she's stuck behind. Wow. Maybe she should have tried Pilates. And then Jack does the famous. He breaks through the door and he says, here's Johnny. But his name's Jack. It's it's from the, the it's from the Johnny Carson show. What? That here's Johnny is how Ed McMahon introduced Johnny Carson. His name is Jack. I hate you. Oh. So he tries to reach in and to unlock the door and Wendy cuts him with a knife and like the only cool thing she does in the entire movie. (laughs) I mean, other than the baseball hit, but that was more just her defensively swinging wildly. I'm getting the feeling that you like Wendy in the book better than you like Wendy in the movie. She's basically Rambo in the book. And it's pretty cool. There's inner monologue from Wendy's point of view of like her being like, I'm pretty sure I have a concussion, but I'm not going to (laughs) stop. And so then before he can break down the door all the way with the axe, he gets distracted because he hears Dick Halloran arriving. Oh, Dick Halloran's arrived. So I know you must be relieved now, Kev. Dick's going to show up and he's going to help them out and get them out of this jam, right? No, I've seen, I, I've listened to these movies before, Pete. I'm not an idiot. Either Dick's also evil, he's already dead, or he dies instantly. Uh, ding, ding, ding. Number three is the correct answer. Just walks in and he, immediately falls into a pit of spikes. No, he literally walks into the front hall and is calling out to Wendy and Danny, and Jack pops out and embeds the axe into his chest. Wow. He literally, there's... Multiple scenes of him traveling 
to save this family, and he literally dies instantly. That's a bit of a dick move. Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't think you could get any worse. <laughs> his, his name's Dick. Oh! Woo! So, how's Jack doing? Jack sees Danny running around outside and chases him into the hedge maze. It's like running around just makes me think that he's just running around in circles and it's a silly mental image. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so they're, they're playing a, a, a game of tag. And meanwhile... It's a little bit more like in, intense than a game of tag, Pete. Well, I mean, it's tag with an axe. So yes, you're right. <laughs> and meanwhile, Wendy's I making her way through the hotel. Tag with an axe with me. No. Meanwhile, Wendy's making her way through the hotel to, to get to them, and she starts running into ghost after ghost and weird shit, including, I'm just going to throw this one at you, because this one you probably don't know from pop culture. She turns a corner and sees an open door to one of the hotel rooms. Yep. And there was a man dressed in a dog costume of some sort, like a furry one-piece dog costume with a mask. And this man is performing fellatio on another man dressed in a tuxedo. Okay. Why? And, and then they both just stop and turn and look at her. And then she runs and it's never explained or talked about. That's the ghost of sexual awkwardness. Oh, I I didn't. Oh, God. I, oh, I didn't I think gotta, you'd be home. I'm so sorry. I guess I have to go now. So all that shit happens, and meanwhile, uh, Jack is chasing Danny through the, the hedge maze. Danny, being a bright little kid, uh, he wands, wanders down a few paths, and then he backtracks, walking backwards, but stepping in his footprints in the snow. Ah, sneaky. And then he hides behind, like, a snowdrift, and Jack goes past him and gets lost while Danny escapes. Go get him, Danny. Yeah. How old's so, Danny in this? Danny's like six to eight years old. Yeah, my six-year-old would have just died. <laughs> so Danny and Wendy reunite. They escape in the snowcat vehicle that Dick had brought up with him. So, hey, he did something. He's not uh, needing it anymore. <laughs> and Jack gets hopelessly lost in the maze and eventually freezes to death. He died and because he got lost in a hedge maze? That yes. was the thing that undid him? Yep. He couldn't figure wow. out the hedge maze. He couldn't figure out a fucking... He just just follow his own footsteps back. Yeah, just follow his own footsteps. Climb a hedge. Burst through a hedge. They're not that... They're not impenetrable walls, Pete. Would it be a bad time to remind you that he's still holding an axe the whole time? He could just cut the fucking hedge. Oh, my God. He's just fucking like an axe. He froze to death. That was what... Really? Listen, the Evo Hotel isn't very good at what it does, apparently. <laughs> Go kill your family! Oh, wait, that guy's an idiot. Uh, shit. <laughs> Maybe we should have just killed the family ourselves. How did he make it to this far in his life? Not well, obviously. How is he able to figure out what to do to procreate to make Danny? I don't think it's his kid. <laughs> the man is an idiot. Well, he died because he, he got lost in a hedge maze. To put to, to put an end to all of this, Kev, the final shot of the movie is that the camera zooms in on a bunch of photographs on the wall in the Overlook Hotel. Look at this photograph. Every time I do, it makes me laugh. Well, one of them is a picture from 1921 of a July Fourth party, and it's like the ballroom full of people, and at the front of the room is Jack. What? Why? What? We'll never fucking know. Oh, god damn it. It's just like, hey, let's just fuck with the audience. Here, here's a picture with Jack. Pretty much. The two leading interpretations by film critics are either Jack's soul is, like, inexplicably tied to the hotel and he just keeps being reincarnated and brought back there, or the picture symbolizes that the hotel has absorbed his soul and he's now part of it. Oh, yeah, so like now that he's dead and, and sucked him in and all that other stuff. So maybe he'll be a ghost. Maybe. 
He'll be like the waiter. Yeah. Did anybody ask Stanley? He never gave a fucking straight answer about <laughs> anything in his career. <laughs> He'd probably be like, listen, do a thousand jumping jacks and then crawl through that bread of bed of broken glass and I'll tell you the answer. And the answer was, you know, whatever you believe it was. And then he'd punch him in the nuts and walk away. <laughs> fucking Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, that sounds about right. And uh, Kev, that was all 144 minutes of The Shining. Oh my god, really? It is a long goddamn movie. Of course, fucking Stanley Kubrick. And but Stephen King. Stephen King couldn't write a novella to save his life. He writes a bunch of novellas. And how long are they? They're novella length. I doubt it. He's actually quite known for his short stories. They're very good. He's lengthy. No, I don't like that. Don't say he's lengthy. Let's cut that out. (laughs) Don't be gross, Pete. Okay, whatever. Uh, So do you want to get into the nitty gritty? Oh, wasn't it already nitty and gritty enough? (laughs) Well, here's the thing. As harrowing as the story is, I will give credit where credit's due, and The Shining is a fucking beautiful movie. This dude had an eye like no other director. His cinematography is is on point, and the editing is great. It just, you are trapped in this location with the characters. I mean, that's probably the only reason why an abusive creep could make more than one movie in Hollywood. Yeah, pretty much. And this movie, among a few others at the time, was one of the first to really make use of the newly developed Steadicam technology, which, uh, as people listening may or may not know, is like when you put a camera on a harness that the cameraman wears and it just keeps it steady no matter how much you move and makes it not bounce or anything. Also known as the thing that they all, uh, every movie studio decided to just fucking get rid of in 2009 and since then every single movie has been jerky as shit because i don't know artistry yeah it drives me fucking insane (laughs) we're just gonna make everything shaky for no fucking reason it's art pete you're not allowed to criticize art i'm apparently not allowed to see art But no, uh, The Shining is quite the opposite. There's beautiful panning shots and wide shots of scenery. It's just amazing to look at. The panning shots, were they mostly in the kitchen? Oh my god. (laughs) I hate you so much. I didn't know I could hate you anymore. You torture me in your way, I torture you in my way. That's what friendship is, Pete. Yeah, I guess you're right. (laughs) So, budget... Any numbers? Uh, A solid $19 million to make it. I think you'd be surprised. Its box office take was only $46 million. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, back then they didn't have as much money. Not as much movie-going population either. There are movies from that time period that made way more money than that. Remember, this was after, like, Jaws and Star Wars had come out. Oh, okay, never mind. Uh, Maybe it's the subject matter? Maybe horrors didn't make that much? I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> it was it became well known obviously because, you know, who Did hasn't it? who hasn't heard of The Shining, but yeah, at the box office it didn't really do much. Now, if you will, I would like to get in my favorite part of any discussion about The Shining, comparing the movie to the book. I was going to ask about that, but I didn't want it to be like a huge thing because I know there's like a lot usually that happens. It it is kind of a huge thing. Because Stephen King famously does not like the movie. Oh, really? Oh, no, not at all. Because it took all of the themes he put into the story and removed them. Does Stanley Kubrick like the book? He did. He liked it enough to want to make a movie out of it, but he wanted to make it as... Yeah, he is. Great. I'm sorry. That came out too fast. Good. Nope, that also sounded bad. (laughs) It's okay, Kev. But yeah, like he, the best comparison I like to talk about is Jack in the book is a dude who's struggling with alcoholism and trying to stay sober and is a good man at heart who's trying to do right by his family. But when they get to the hotel, it corrupts him and turns him and forces him to fall back on his vices. Now, is that's what I was going to say. Is, is there a huge theme of alcoholism and things like that in the movie? 
Uh, I mean, in the book, because it wasn't huge. There was a reference to it, obviously, with the bar, but that was it. That was it. In well, the whole movie. here's the key thing, and I'll start off with King did not like Stanley Kubrick picking Jack Nicholson to play Jack Torrance, because as you could see if you watch the movie, Jack Torrance in the movie looks like he's on the edge right from the first minute. I mean, like, every time I see Jack, Nich- Jack Nicholson in anything doing anything he looks like he's on the edge he looks about two seconds away from smashing his way through any door with an axe so that that's fair i can see that. like his intensity he brings to most of his roles is on a hundred percent in the shining and you're just like oh this is a dude who's already crazy and doesn't like his family yeah so there's no build-up like yes he goes uh, he goes more, obviously more psychotically crazy, but, but this like, is a dude who you already are afraid of at the beginning of the movie. The first scene, you see Jack Nicholson, you're like, that man's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Yeah, whereas King's version in the book is a dude who's your normal everyman, and then they go crazy. Well, King likes taking normal people and watching them slowly descend into madness and torture and death, because <laughs> he's a messed up individual. And the other big thing is Stanley Kubrick really downplayed all the supernatural stuff in the story. In the book, half of the fucking narration is about explaining The Shining and how the ghosts of the hotel have a will of their own. And the really most important part, in the book, the goal of the Overlook Hotel is to get Danny inside and eat his shine so it can become more powerful. Right. I was going to say, the shine part of it seemed like it was supposed to be a bigger deal, but it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal in the movie. Yeah, the movie just plays it as, this kid may be low-grade psychic, and isn't that interesting, but hey, let's focus on this guy going crazy and wanting to kill his family. Whereas in the book, like, Danny is all that the hotel wants, and it's just using Jack to kill Danny so it can, like, well, to terrify and kill him so it can eat his power. Right. Um, And in the movie, it's just like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you were all dead? Do that. Hey, um, why does Stephen King like supernatural entities murdering and terrorizing small children so much? Because it's scary. I mean, yeah, but like this seems to be an unhealthy focus is all I'm (laughs) saying. And here's the real the biggest thing. And the last point we'll talk about for the comparisons, the ending. In the book, there's a subplot where one of the main reasons they need a caretaker for the hotel is that there's this boiler that for some reason was built in a way that they can't just, well, they can't turn it off because they can't have like the pipes freezing and breaking over winter. Right. But the boiler doesn't have an automatic like steam buildup release. Someone has to manually do it every couple days. Because they've just never upgraded the system, I guess. It costs money. So, the like, that's what he's supposed to be doing while he's there, is just monitoring the boiler and whatever. So, in the book, there's no hedge maze. Oh, he gets out of the hedge maze? What's the point? Yeah. What happens is he's chasing his family and Mr. Halloran around the hotel because Mr. Halloran fucking survives in the book. <laughs> and he doesn't have an axe. He has, like, a croquet mallet or something. Whatever, that's interchangeable. At one point, he has Danny cornered, and Danny's, like, begging for his life, and Jack is able to break free for a moment, and he tells Danny to run because he can't fight off the hotel any longer. So Danny escapes, and then the hotel makes Jack break his own face with the mallet. Uh, But then he gets the last laugh because he's like, all this time you've been having me try to kill my family, you forgot to reset the boiler. So before they can do anything about it, Danny and Wendy and Dick escape, and then the hotel explodes. Uh, with, and that's with Jack nice, inside. Because Jack's kind of like an anti... I mean, he's like a hero at the end, because he's fighting against the evil of the hotel, and he's like, hey, guess what, fuckhead? I outsmarted you. Yeah, exactly. Whereas and in, in the movie, movie, Jack couldn't outsmart a fucking bunch of trees planted <laughs> in a row. Exactly. A bunch of bushes... With an axe in his hand, he couldn't figure that one out. But that's like the biggest 
difference between like the themes like in the book jack's a good guy it's the hotel that's evil and forcing him to do bad things and in the yeah, movie it's just like confusing. that's yeah too, that's too confusing we need just evil man kill family yeah essentially but so that, le- that led to an interesting thing because years later stephen king wrote a sequel to the book and in the book the hotel's gone but in the movie universe the hotel's still standing <laughs> so there's an interesting change between the sequel as well for the movie and the book adaptation. Well, that's easy retconning. You just say, oh yeah, remember how uh, Jack froze to death in a hedge maid because he's an idiot? All right, well, he did that and then nobody took care of the hotel and it burned down. Yeah, we're done. No, they go a different route, but uh, we'll talk about that next time. Yeah, I can't wait to hear more about this dumb movie franchise next time. Can we just oh, talk yeah. about the book? It sounds like it's better. It's a lot better. It's I think it's my favorite Stephen King book. Really? Oh yeah. No, I what mean, about all those towers. I do like the Dark Tower, but that's a whole what about series. The hey, Ka is a wheel man. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> all right, Kev. It's my favorite part of the episode. Would you watch The Shining? I think I have to actually. I mean, like, if I want to say that I'm like any sort of interested in film in general, it's like Casablanca or um. Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. I gotta watch these movies. I'm yeah. I'm not looking forward to Citizen Kane, but I'm gonna have to watch these. Man, can I be there if you watch the The Shining? Yeah, of course. That's fine. That's required. Uh, oh, Schindler's List. That's another one that I'm dreading to go watch at some point, but I'm gonna have to watch. There's not a lot of feel-good movies that are classics, are there? Why? Why is that a thing? Why can't there just be, like, a lovely romantic comedy that's a classic? I mean, my wife's a big fan of Splash. Actually, a lot of... What? Nope. You know what? I'm not even going to go there. A lot of the uh, Marilyn Monroe movies are usually pretty good, and they're considered classics, so... Yeah, let's just dive into those. Some like it hot. Cross-dressing, baby. (laughs) All right. Who do you think should watch The Shining? I mean, obviously, if you're a horror fan, go watch The Shining. That's not even a question. Just but is it do that it. horrific? Like, if these people are looking to be scared, is it like a movie made in the 80s? Is it that horrific? Yeah, well, it's the it's all about the atmosphere. The tension is building the whole time. All right. And it's very effective. As shitty as a person he was, Stanley Kubrick made some good films. I mean, he would have to. Yeah. Um, non-horror fans? Ooh, probably not the best movie to start with. Oh, um, come on. Jump I mean, right in. On top of it's a very fucking tense, terrifying movie. It's also, I mean, as much as I said it does keep you interested through its long run time, it is not like modern movies. It takes its time. So that may throw people off. But I don't know. Maybe. If you're up for it, go see it. I mean, it's a classic. So, like, a lot of these people know what classics are like. So if you if you like classic movies and you're also interested in the horror side of classic, this seems to be a good, uh, a well-done version of that movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because there's, there's not that much gore or anything like that, right? No, I mean, there's, you'll see... Like, it seems fine. The, ki- um, the kid didn't know he was making a horror movie. What? They never had him there when they were doing the freaky shit. Well, what did he think they were doing? Uh, he thought they were making some drama. That's what they told him. And no one like he they his parents made sure that he never saw the movie until he was like 16 or something. And even and he, then he saw an edited version of the movie. He figured it out eventually, though, right? Yes. Somebody yes, told he him eventually, right? He actually also has a cameo appearance in the Dr. Sleep movie. Did he know he was going to be in that, too? It's unknown. <laughs> no, he knew. <laughs> But yeah, like they literally his career is just the Hollywood just duping him. They literally kept him from seeing any of the freaky shit, which is it's so weird. The only person that Stanley Kubrick didn't fucking abuse was the child. I mean, he's got that going for him, at least the scene where Wendy like picks up Danny and is running away from Jack. She was carrying like a life size doll. Wow. Yeah, that's how intense they got with it. Like he didn't see any scary shit. But anyway, Kevin, is there a specific kind of special demographic that you think should see The Shining? I know who shouldn't see The Shining, 
And that's uh, anybody who deals with lawn care. Because they know how fucking easy hedges are to deal with. I guess if you're into like, you know, weird furry dog sex, I guess there's that going for you. So if you really like that kind of stuff. Furries I mean, should see this movie. <laughs> furries. I think furries should definitely see this movie. This is this is definitely right down their alley. That's uh that's probably it though. That's it. Nobody else should see this movie. Because I don't want to support Stanley Kubrick. The man doesn't need the support. Uh he's a terrible person. Let's all ban uh all the movies that he's done. Uh, no more money for Stanley. I I think this is a fight not worth fighting at this point. Like he's <laughs> long dead. <laughs> It's about making a point, Pete. Okay. It's about standing up for what's right. Oh, sure. Him thing, and uh, Alfred Hitchcock. We're gonna ban those movies. All right. Well, I Boy think that's thought Hitchcock. That's Boy good for tonight. Kubrick. We're gonna go now. Thank you all for listening. Please don't join in in any of Kevin's weird protests. I'm making signs right now. And remember, don't get too scared.